This is part two of episode 99, Amateur Logic's 2016 Closeout Special, recorded December 31st, 2016. Hi, welcome to Amateur Logic, episode 99. I'm George. I'm Peter. And I'm Mike. It's Dan in 9LVS, the guy who does our wiki and uh, does the wiki for Ham College and Ham Nation as well. Hi, Dan. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, let's see. You're you're probably about another hour and 25 minutes away from uh, New Year's, too, aren't you? Yes, I am. But I have been celebrating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's what happened. See, when George shared out the show, he was kind of like a canoe paddler. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, I saw, saw uh, Peter in there, so I decided to have a little Foster's. Oh, uh, that's and good, then, as good soon stuff. as I saw Mike in there, you know, you got to have a little moose drool for that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was feeling pretty good, but didn't know if it was going to go downhill. So, a little Edmund Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to end off the evening, it's going to be a little dead guy ale. Wow. Nice. <laughs> that, um... Wisconsin, we love our beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Wisconsin, I'm enjoying some, and this is probably not Wisconsin cheese, but I've been having a little Cracker Barrel sharp chatter with my wine over here. Oh, that's that stuff's actually made about uh, 15 miles from me. Oh, really? Not even, probably 10. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. We all have good cheese in. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, it is good, good cheese that we have around here. So, Dan, what have you been... And good beer. Oh, yeah. Uh, you you got to have the combination of the both, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it goes pretty good with the wine, too. I don't have any beer here. Uh, I would I would have to try that as well. Mike, we haven't seen you drinking anything tonight. Are you uh, getting parts there? I had, I had to switch to water because um, we were out... Actually, uh, Dan and I had a little exchange in the chat room earlier about microbreweries, and I actually... Uh, uh, myself and my family had dinner at one last night, and we left with three growlers uh, full of beer. <laughs> and um, my son son opened one of them up at dinner tonight, and uh, it was a double IPA. And I think the alcohol content is about almost ten percent. And I was starting to get sleepy, so I had to stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can understand. I've been taking it easy on this. Uh, this is my first glass of wine here too, and there's still. Uh, still some left because you know i gotta make it till at least midnight and to complicate the matters you know i'm a a musician too and i don't you know i don't play much anymore i mostly do filling gigs and i've got to uh play a church service in the morning so i've got to get up at 7 30 so don't need to tie one over tonight well, I've got about 100 micro beers in the refrigerator. <laughs> well, well, you're right. Dan, you're running low. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, by the way, Dan, do you, um, uh, do you do any of your own brewing? You know, like home brewery? I have done my home bre- brewing, but, you know, I'm leaving it to the professionals. You know, yeah. you I wear a different hat these days. You know? Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, I actually did a bit of home brewing myself, and uh, yeah, it's not bad. I, I think I would do it again, but I would do it for apple cider because uh, I, I really like that, just to get the alcohol level just at the right level. Well, I do make a little corn squeezins. That I do make. Mm-hmm. All right. So what exactly got is of, that? Got a, got a lot of extra corn around here. So. <laughs> well, you can actually make uh, – is it like you've got your own still and you make uh, – like a, a corn. No, uh, I can't alcohol. say still. It's a dis, it's it's a it's a purifier. Oh, I get you. That'll get you. It's out all those impurities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like moonshine. Yeah, they had some purifiers around here. Uh, there, there may still be some. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. They they pur- purify. They get the impediments out. You know. Yeah. Well, you don't want to drink anything nasty. And and then then the nice thing is is uh, up here is if you brew a bad batch you just use it to start your snowblower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but does does it burn pretty good? Oh yeah, it burns pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, what have you been up to? We haven't uh, caught up much lately. We've both been kind of stretched out and busy. What What have you been doing? Oh, I've been busier than a one-armed paper hanger. Um, this is actually my busiest time of the year. I got a lot of stuff uh, going on with work and stuff like that, and just going like a one-armed paper hanger. Um, but uh, we've been keeping on busy on HF and that, and we're still doing the Google Hangouts every night. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's uh, that's a lot of fun, and I'm doing the wiki notes and that, and uh, just been having a ball, but keeping very very busy. Well, I've been meaning to catch up with you on the ham radio hangouts, and I just I I got to be honest, I just haven't been a good ham when it comes to getting on there because I I don't know I've just always got something going in the evenings when I would normally you know be jumping in there, but I want to do it again. One day. Well, getting on the Google Hangouts, you know, can't part your hair. I mean, see what it did to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, the Ham Radio Hangout. That's what it's officially called, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Ham Radio Hangout. One of our There's good... uh, typically about eight or nine of us in there every night. One of our good friends was instrumental in getting that, that going, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Tom Samasico. Yep. Tom Samasico. Do, do, do you actually stream that down? Do you actually put it on the YouTube? No, we don't. No, we don't. It's just on. It's just on uh, G Plus. Uh-huh. But we start about eight o'clock uh, my time, which would be Central. And uh, uh, usually, the last one of us gets out of there sometimes around midnight or so. Uh-huh. So, if somebody wanted to to get in on that, I know there's a limit as to how many. How many people can be in that? What is the limit now? On, uh, the limit now is 10. 10. If somebody, is there ever room or is it always full? Oh, yeah, there's always room. So if somebody wanted to get there's in there. There's always room. And we always have new people come in and then they, you know, they may be gone for a month or two and then they come back. Mm-hmm. So how. We got a guy that goes on cruises all the time. So needless to say, he can't be in there every night. But. So if Peter wanted to join in there, what would he need to do? All you need to do is go to G Plus and look at Ham Radio Hangout and uh, join the menagerie and uh, mm-hmm. send out the link pretty much every night and uh, uh, to those that are in the group and voila, you're in. Oh, cool. Well, it's uh, unfortunately I think eight o'clock your time is about one o'clock my time, so Monday to Friday. Uh, I'll be at work, unfortunately, but uh, maybe a Saturday or a Sunday I might be able to uh, to oblige. Yep, it's seven days a week. Seven days yeah, a week. Cool. It's a, it's a lot of fun, and uh, sometimes we don't talk about ham radio. Sometimes we talk about other stuff, but uh, eventually we get the ham radio stuff too. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah well. you should check it out, Peter. I haven't done it in a while, and but I I have joined in on the. Uh, on the hangout a couple of times and it's always interesting topics going on no oh, i think i've done it a couple of times haven't i dad it would have been a while yeah, ago you, though. You, you've been in there a couple of times and a lot of it is uh just helping other hams out you know mm. that's the part that i like is you get somebody that says hey i can't get this working or i can't get that working and it's mm-hmm. like well do this do this do this and the next thing you know you're hearing them come over the come over to radio and it's like yep it's working now <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, you you do a lot of mobile, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. HF mobile. Yes, I do. 1,300 watts worth. 1,300 watts worth. I've got a little video here from you. You want to take a look at that? Sure. All right, let's, let's check that out. Then we'll come back and talk about it. This is the N9 LVS mobile, a 2015 Jeep Cherokee which I purchased in late 2015. The heart of the system is this dual-wound aircraft alternator. When placed in series, gets us the 48 volts we'll need for the amplifier. For HF, I run a Yaesu 857D, mounted right to the dash, which gives me heads-up capability. The radio itself is mounted underneath the driver's seat. The amplifier for the mobile operation is the ALS-1300 mounted just behind the rear passenger seat. The remote, however, for the ALS-1300 is mounted just left of the radio. 
Needless to say, with running a 1300-watt amplifier, the antenna has to be a little bit more beefy. So I'm running the Wolferver Coil Silver Bullet 1000, connected to a 102-inch whip. The mount itself is built from 1-inch Schedule 80 square tubing. One bolt running through the outside support of the fender. The other part is actually mounted to the frame itself, through one of the assembly holes. This is what the assembly hole looked like before installing the mount. I removed the rubber grommet, and it gave me more surface area to actually fix the mount to. I also fixed ground strap at a secondary location on the frame, thus binding the entire frame. For VHF and UHF, I run a Kenwood V7A, affixed to the side of the console on the passenger side. The wire for that runs up through the taillight assembly, into the antenna, which is a Larson 270, mounted on the luggage rack. And what would a modern amateur radio vehicle be today without APRS? I'm running a GPS puck stuck to the top of the dash, as close to the window as I could get it. For the APRS unit, I use a Bionics Microtrack RTG, which is a 10-watt APRS tracker, which I have mounted behind the glove compartment. The antenna itself is actually mounted behind the front fender well on the passenger side. The reason I did this is the fender well itself is all fiberglass, but it has a nice piece of steel plate holding it on. And that's a quick overview of the N9LVS Mobile. I hope you find this video interesting. And 7.3s from N9LVS. You know, Dan, you're the only person I know that runs near-legal limit mobile. It's got to be an interesting experience. Yeah, the interesting experience sometimes becomes some of the vehicles that you pass, and you sometimes will have them... Uh, think that they're stalling out especially like the smart cars or the hybrid electronic <laughs> cars and that you can up 1300 watts and you go buy one of those and you watch them kind of stall out you know it's kind of funny <laughs> so Dan, I these... sorry go ahead peter uh, i was going to ask what sort of range do you get line of sight dan with that with 1300 watts on two meters uh 1300 watts is for hf oh sorry for I'm just, hf i'm just oh. i'm just running 50 watts uh uh, mobile. Okay, all right. Uh, well, um, what sort of range do you get with your HF, uh, depending on, the, obviously, on conditions, but... I, I have DXCC mobile. Well, that's pretty good, <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> Dan, I've yeah. always been curious. Did you void your warranty by doing that? Nope, not at all. In fact, a lot okay. of the stuff that I had uh, with the electrical and that kind of stuff, I actually had the dealer install. Really? Yep. I, I was uh, curious with all the uh, various electronic modules in the, in the vehicle, whether or not there was a limit as far as uh, RF power uh, that was uh, uh, permitted without voiding any type of warranty. When I, when I ordered that vehicle, um, dealer recommended, and uh, I talked to uh, Chrysler themselves, and they recommended that I get the quote-unquote police package uh, electronics package put into that vehicle and that covers up the computer and and stuff like that um, so it isolates more um, uh, than uh, your, sta your standard computer module basically it sits on the fender well with two screws in it and that's it mine actually has a metal plate that goes over the top of that oh wow yeah. I, I can see why you need that <laughs> Uh, just out of interest, Dan, um, operating on HF Mobile, did you have to do anything special to suppress the noise of the motor? Did you? Nope. Oh? That's that's part of that package that they put into the vehicle. Hmm. Mm, okay. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so, no, no ignition noise or anything? Yeah, it's meant to, to be carrying like a Motorola 200-watt mobile unit in there. Mm -hmm. So um, Cool. The, um, yeah, I've never operated. A lot more shielding on it and stuff like that. Mm. Wow, I had no idea that the uh, police package would do that. I mean, generally I'd expect uh, heavier springing in the seats, maybe extra thick metal in the doors. It's the piece, and, uh, police electronics package. Yeah, it's, it almost makes it sound like you've got radiation-hardened electronics <laughs> in there. <laughs> so what what does that cost extra, or, or did they break it out where you cost, can tell? It cost me about 2000 extra. Wow. Ooh. 
But uh, if you take a look at all the electronics wires, um, there's a lot of uh, shielding, you know, that's uh, going around like the wires that are going through the firewall and stuff like that. Um, a lot more checkpoints, for lack of a better term, where they're screwing stuff down and, you know. Wow. Took another three weeks for the vehicle to get here, too, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they did that at the factory. It was shipped that way. It was all done at the factory, yep. Okay. All right. I would feel better about that than a dealer doing it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, uh, the only thing the dealer put in was the alternator itself, the 48-volt, well, a 24-volt aircraft alternator, which is in series. The so, dealer did that himself, uh, you which know, is actually the same one that came out of my old Jeep. Yeah, it just wouldn't have, well, and it makes perfect sense, but, you know, it just doesn't occur to you at first thought that, yeah, you would need almost 50 volts to to run yep. that kind of linear in there. Yeah, the ALS uh, 1300 does come with a 50-volt DC power supply. So, mm-hmm. needless to say, a, a, a dual-wound 24-volt run in series gets me 48 volts, and then I run that through a bridge rectifier to get off a lot of the a lot of the uh, noise that's on there, mm-hmm. and then that uh, goes into a couple of good-sized capacitors. Wow. I guess the uh, capacitors are there to stop the engine from stalling when you start transmitting out idle? Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I did have a funny experience. I actually uh, um, uh, drove by a guy with uh, was playing rather loud, uh, annoying music, and I keyed up on 80 meters and stopped his music dead. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, it was like somebody unplugged his stereo. I, I don't know why. I was just tuning up on 80. <laughs> that would be great when uh, in the summertime when you, you're, you're, you're at a stoplight next to these cars that have the 1,000-watt subwoofers running in their cars next to you, and you can't hear yourself talking to your own vehicle. Well, that's what it was. It was basically that same scenario. As soon as he keyed down the mic on 80 and kicked in the amplifier, boom, he was gone. He stopped the music. <laughs> Right in its tracks. Wow. Uh, do you know anybody else? I, I think it was a little front-end overload. I could be wrong, but I think that's a little front-end overload. It, we can't call it a steal, though. Huh? You can't call it a steal, though. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, do you know anybody else that runs that kind of power, or you just decided, uh, I'm going to do this? Um, there's a few individuals that I've talked to that have run that kind of power. In fact, uh, uh, one guy did it in the 50s, and um, uh, he actually uh, pulled into a gas station one time where the lights were out, and he keyed up the radio, and the fluorescent lights kept lighting up, and a cop went by and pulled up alongside him and says, says, what do you think, what's going on, you know? And he goes, I don't know what's going on. He says, you see what's happened to those lights? <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I'd like to have a few hundred watts in the mobile. You know, I just run a barefoot hundred watts in there. But, you know, uh, I, I don't key the mic enough to make it worthwhile for me. I, I mostly listen. But, uh, it'd well, be I'm, nice. on, I'm on the road all the time, so yeah. it comes in very, very handy. You probably do more mobile work than you do at the at the QTH then, huh? Yeah, I do. I do far more mobile work, but it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun um, to run counties and that uh, when you're running mobile, you know. And to do DX, that's that's just a hoot and a half because a lot of times you'll talk to you know some some country where they're lucky that they got power to power the radio. Yeah, and and they're like mobile. <laughs> <laughs> So, are you able to bust pileups with it? Yeah, you usually bust pileups pretty good. You usually bust pileups pretty good because they're used, used uh, to seeing um, uh, mobiles running QRP or or low power. And uh, when you come back, you know, and you, you pound through the pileup and you say you're mobile, a lot of uh, um, uh, DXCC countries and stuff like that especially if they're running special events and that, 
boy, they grab you right away. Mobile, okay, yeah, we'll take the mobile station, you know. It's like, yeah, running 1,300 watts mobile, and, just, you know, you can almost see them on the other side going, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, how does that work for, I mean, obviously you're in pretty close proximity to that uh, to that 102-inch whip, which is, is loaded, obviously, but um, how does that work for the safe operating area uh, with that kind of power? I don't notice any problem. <laughs> so, so you, y'all, you're not lighting up after you leave the vehicle. Is that what you're saying? Huh? You're not glowing when you leave the vehicle? No, nah, not glowing when I leave the vehicle. I just look at it as a big HT, right? Yeah. And then, and then some. <laughs> you know, we are coming up on uh, 2017 here in just a few minutes for those people on the East Coast. Yeah, which which none of us are. You're not on the East Coast, are you, Mike? Aren't you Central? I am. I'm I'm Eastern Time. Oh, you I'm are an hour Eastern. I do. Oh boy, then you're almost to uh, catch up to Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I have a one hour advantage on you. You do. Yep. That's okay though. Um, we, we'll just have to deal with it, I guess. Peter, how many hours did you have advance there? Is it? Like, I think it's about fourteen. So wow. uh, yeah, that's just no, it, gets, it gets longer in the summertime when everybody goes on uh, daylight savings time over here, and uh, you're coming off of daylight savings time, are you not? Um, uh, sorry, just a second. Uh, let's see. Oh, we, no, we we are in summer, so we we are in daylight savings time at, at the moment. So we would have switched over a couple of months ago. Right, but uh, what I what I meant was the gap gets gets wider for us in the summertime, and I guess for you too that uh, time difference is that, is that oh, right? Yeah. Uh, I forget whether it gets wider or 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 less, but I do note that uh, uh, this about this time I uh, start if we start any broadcasting, I tend to start later in the day, whereas in winter I, I end up having to get up at eight or nine in the morning to actually. Uh, to do a thing of amateur logic, it actually switches around by quite a few hours because your time zone goes one way and my time zone goes the other, and so the yeah. the gap does get actually get a lot bigger. But I just right. forget which way it, it works. That's all. So, uh, so you're coming up to midnight. Uh, so you'll be at about eleven p.m. So I'm just working out the sums here. Um, Four plus sixteen, seven. Oh, it could be a seventeen-hour difference, even uh, ahead, all up. But it's, it's quite a bit. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Happy New Year's to you folks on the East Coast. I think we're only seconds away here. I yep. don't have yeah, that. It hasn't changed yet, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I um, I don't have a drink here, but I got my beer goggles. Okay. Actually, Happy New Year. More like martini glasses. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This, this reminds me, um, uh, you guys like myself would have um, ham maps up on up on your wall, right, with all the different countries around the world and the prefixes and everything. And uh, if you look at the international date line, you'll actually see that it zigzags in the Central Pacific because um, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it might have been Tonga wanted to be the first country uh, to, um, uh, to to greet the, the rising sun, even though they weren't placed geographically. So what they did was they actually um, bent the, uh, the international date line around and changed their time zone so that they were the first country that uh, uh, technically, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the sun hits. Hmm, yeah, that makes sense. Well, we're, we're going to hang around for, uh, well, a little better than an hour here, so we can wish Happy New Year's to at least one more time zone. We're not going to make it, though, to the <laughs> to the West Coast, so uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll drop before then. Dan, it was great to see you tonight. Glad that you could make it in here with us for a little while. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll have to catch up with you there on a ham radio hangout soon. And 
Also, thank you for, you know, all you do for the, the uh, Ham Nation, uh, Amateur Logic, and Ham College Wikis. You know, that uh, that's really a great service, and we really appreciate oh, it. Oh, I enjoy that immensely. All right. Okay, thanks, Dan. Will we see you at Dayton yeah. this year? Yeah, you will see me at Dayton. Well, then... I've already I, got the reservations made. Well, I, I, got a little, I got a little story, George, before uh, Dan goes. Oh, yeah? If, if you got a couple of minutes. Yeah. I, uh, I met Dan in person there at Dayton two years ago. I think it was the first year I, I met you and George, or you and Tommy there. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I happened to run into Dan, and we, we, I recognized him because we had been on the Hangout before. And uh, I noticed Dan was talking on his cell phone when nobody else had cell service. And I'm thinking, how come his phone's working and nobody else is? And um, I don't know, Dan, do you want to give us a little bit? <laughs> I don't think it was uh, divine intervention that uh, caused your uh, cell phone to work. I'm thinking that maybe you had something, something else. Uh, yeah, a little working. bit of something else going but it wasn't a still. It no, wasn't it wasn't a still. Yeah. It wasn't a still. My car was my car was my cell phone, uh, which was parked uh, five and a half blocks away. Cool, a repeater. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Cool. But a rather strong repeater. <laughs> <laughs> it was right. making a very good Wi-Fi connection. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Well, 7-3, Dan. Great to see you. 7-3. My project this time started out to be a fun outside project. Mother Nature decided not to cooperate. It started raining on me, so I had to move in here to the garage. Anyway, nevertheless, it's still going to be fun. We built the uh, fox hunt transmitter out of the Arduino last time, and this time we're going to build an antenna to do the fox hunting with. We're going to build a beam out of a tape measure. A little Yagi, it's only got a few parts, a piece of PVC, some connectors for the PVC, a piece of coax with a PL259 already made on it because I already had that laying around, six hose clamps, a brand new tape measure I picked up yesterday at Harbor Freight. We've got the MFJ antenna analyzer that we'll use after we finish to test it before we hook it up to our radio, make sure everything's good. We're going to build a matching network out of a piece of Romax. Well, let's get started. We're going to need two pieces of PVC for the antenna itself. One's going to be 11 and a half inches. The other one will be 7 inches long. And I've got a handy pair of PVC cutters here that make the job really nice. It gives you a good clean cut. Okay, so we've got our two pieces. This will be for the director. The driven element will go in the middle and the reflector will go in the back. So the director will get the T, since that's the front end, and you can glue these if you want, but I'm not going to bother to glue them right now. If it doesn't hold together, I may come back and do that later, but it's a, it's a good snug fit. this is what it looks like. I'm going to go ahead, since I've got my PVC cutters out, and I'm going to cut a piece to use as a handle. And I think I'll make it, I'm not going to measure, but roughly a foot. The basics behind how it's going to go together, we're going to cut the tape measure. Tape measure is going to lay across the connector, and we're just going to hose clamp it on. We'll We'll scratch the paint off the back of the, the steel tape measure that I bought here after we get the pieces cut, tin it, and we'll go ahead and put it on. And then when we run the coax to connect everything, we'll solder the coax to where it was tinned. Let's set this stuff aside and let's cut the elements for our beam. We're going to, this is sort of ironic, but we're going to use a tape measure to cut a tape measure so what we'll do is I'm going to go ahead because it's going to suck up into the into the body of the tape measure and I'm going to go ahead and pull out uh, more than enough to do what we need 
I have a pair of tin snips we're going to use to cut the tape measure. Be very careful when you cut these because these ends of this tape measure are extremely sharp. So just be very careful. We're, when we cut it, we're going to round these off and then I'm going to take them and, and dip them. I've got some uh, plastic coating that you can put on uh, dip tools in to make a handle. And I'm going to dip, double dip those to put a protective coating around the edge of it once I'm done. We're going to take the piece of sandpaper. Let's get these out of the way and sand one end of each of these so we can tin it. That's probably pretty good. I'm going to put just a dab of flux I got from George one time on this. He gave me an uh, ever so small amount, uh, in a, actually in an Altoids tin, <laughs> and I've been using it for years. Luckily it doesn't spoil. I don't do, usually do a lot that uh, I need to use flux, but I think I'm going to put it on here just to be safe. Got this old triple core rosin core solder that I got a long time ago that I've been trying to use up. Let's see how it works. These will go against our connector like so, and then we'll have a good place to, in the right direction to solder our coax. Next thing we're going to need to do is get the coax prepared. This is a piece of RG58. You may want to put some uh, 8X or something a little bit better on there, but uh, I just happen to have this handy. Works okay by mobile, so I'm pretty sure it'll work okay for this. We need to tin the ends of the Romax so it'll be easy to solder to the tape measure for our matching network. We're just about ready to start assembling. The last thing I want to do is get rid of these sharp edges like we mentioned before. So when I'm putting this together, I don't want to get cut. And I'm sure you don't either. And uh, you may not like the sight of blood. I, I don't like the sight of my own. Let's start putting it together. We've got both of our driven elements on the beam, and let's put the reflector and the director on there. I've already tinned. I tinned my coax that I shortened the ends off of. And let's go ahead and solder it and then we'll secure it with some zip ties. Now let's put our hairpin match 
for SWR and we will solder it right here to the top. Well, it's together. It's not too big. It's fairly decent size, but it's actually and while the elements will jiggle some, they're actually not too bad. It's light, but it's pretty sturdy. Uh, let's hook it up to the uh, good old trusty MFJ 259B antenna analyzer and see what it looks like. Well, let's make sure we're on the right band. Power it up. And we're on about 147 megahertz with a 1.3 SWR. Not bad. He's down to around 146, 1.4, 145, 144, 1.6. That's not too bad across the entire band. Tommy, I could tell you went to great lengths to put that yeah. together. <laughs> <laughs> I did, man. Uh, I, I, I didn't mention in my segment that, but that uh, beam has 7.3 dB of gain, according to the guy that wrote the plans for it. You know, that's a lot for, for such yeah. a simple little antenna. It is. And, and uh, I didn't get to, it was pouring down rain the day I was building yeah. it, so I didn't get to go out and video myself testing it, but I did afterwards, and it worked pretty well. And uh, I also tweaked and got the SWR down to 1.2 to 1. Wow. Yeah, and, and it looked incredibly cheap, so I think Emil would approve. Uh, right, he would. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that, uh, there's a, a tape measure that I'm going to have on eBay here soon. It starts at 7 feet and goes to 33. Um, if you want to make one yourself, <laughs> so, just watch for that. Okay. That looked like a fun project to me. Uh, I haven't built one myself, but... Tommy's still got that tape measure. How much is left oh. on the tape measure? Uh, it starts at seven feet and goes to, <laughs> to however long. So there's plenty on there for everybody. I did think he could have put the tape measure inside the plastic tubing and then put the plastic tubing in the side. That might have been a little bit more robust. Yeah, but you couldn't but roll it, it up then. Oh, this is true. This is yeah. true. We've got a couple of more guests here that have joined us. It's Amanda K1DDN from Ham Nation. And uh, her old man, Jeff, with the, is that Mardi Gras beads, or what is that around your neck, Jeff? Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. So we went to um, the dollar store, because it's one of the only stores in town, and uh, we're looking for some Happy New Year gear, and they had a Mardi Gras section, and that was it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's Wait, what we wound up with. I do have some of these, though. There you go. That works. Y'all have got... Uh, well, almost an <laughs> hour and 45 minutes to go. Oh, yeah. We got some time. And uh, we've been uh, we've been listening to Echo Link tonight. Not a lot of action. I thought there'd be a lot more people on there shouting out Happy New Year, stuff like mm -hmm. that. It's hoping to talk to people across the country tonight, but not really a lot going on. No, yeah. not so much. Not so much. Huh. But uh, it's, uh, you know, we're just hanging out. And uh, uh Hi, Peter, and hi, Mike. Uh, nice to see you guys tonight. Hi, Jeff. Hi, hi Amanda. Um, uh, you're in Colorado, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, and the Rockies are nearby. I'm just wondering, do you ever drive up to the top of the Rockies and work simplex from there? It would be pretty awesome. A lot of people do. I don't – neither one of us have ever done that. They have the summits on the air, um, mm -hmm. which pe a lot of people like to get into. Um, Jeff goes up to those mountains usually to work at repeater sites, so – how many how many repeater sites do you have now, Jeff, that you work on? I don't even want to think about it. Uh, <laughs> eight or nine or something like too ma too many. Yeah, we have a, like eight or nine repeaters in our system, um, and oh, wow. it's a constant. Do you do any of you guys do repeater stuff at all? Yeah, uh, not not myself, no. But okay, so when it, when you have repeaters, they always are. It doesn't matter. There's always something wrong, um, especially in the Colorado Rockies. You got the weather, you got feed line problems, you've got antennas that are freezing over. It's um, mm -hmm. nothing but constant, constant battles. Uh, mm -hmm. Jeff can talk about it more because I don't do it, obviously. But, yeah, 
Yeah, even that, or you just have to go and retune your duplexer because it's starting to sound off frequency a bit, things like that. George, you probably know a lot about that stuff. I know a little bit about it. Um, I, I don't operate any myself. I, I do run an echo link node here for one of uh, the local repeaters, but a couple of my FM stations have repeaters at them as well, and they're, they're run by my friends. And Yeah, uh, there's a lot more that goes into that. It's not just... Uh, plugging in a radio and hooking an antenna to it is it jeff no well for the first month or six yeah. months and yeah. then after after that yeah it's it's always something with one of them and the more you get the more it uh the more of a full-time job it is so yeah it's it's rewarding most of the time but uh peter people do go up to pike's peak that's a pretty popular huh? tourist attraction and there's if you monitor five two simplex at one forty six five two around here you frequently hear somebody from somewhere up there making mm-hmm. contacts as far as they can and they can, they can talk out about 100 miles on NHT, probably more than that. Wow. Yes. All the way to Kansas. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, you mentioned uh, the, the weather can be quite variable. Do you, you guys actually get like a, a white Christmas in Colorado? Or? So, not necessarily here in Canyon City, um, but, you know, you go 50 miles west of us and definitely they're probably always having a white Christmas, if not a freezing Christmas. But 50 miles from here, they get two feet of snow. We, not so much. We get six inches and then it melts uh, the next day. You know, it's we're in the banana belt of Colorado. Denver is much worse. Mm. So uh, we're we're fortunate where we live. But it's like the the other day it was, what, 62 degrees was the high? Yeah. Just two yeah. days ago. Yeah. So, and then, you know, Tuesday, our high is going to be 20. So, yeah. a lot of difference. Yeah. It's very Definitely. different down here in Australia. We It's hot weather. So, uh, you know, it's not uncommon to have uh, 100 degrees Celsius on Boxing Day, for example. Sorry, not Celsius, I should say Fahrenheit. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fahrenheit. But that's, that's pretty hot, uh, no matter which way you... Uh, dice it up and um yeah so what did you uh what, what have you had for christmas turkey or uh uh chicken or we had ham and uh mm-hmm. we had our our anniversary is actually on christmas eve so we kind of do it all in one thing and just <laughs> yeah. get all over with jeff really lucks out you guys he doesn't have to buy extra gifts you know <laughs> things like that so plan that I, one out right i made it easy for him so he could remember <laughs> it you know <laughs> trying to be nice <laughs> we had a good time though. It just uh, oh, yeah. just my parents and stuff like that. And now we have yeah. the puppy, so he keeps us pretty busy. And we, oh. uh, I get on vacation during Christmas and New Year's, so I try to do extra radio work. Typically, I try to get on HF a little bit more. But I gotta mm-hmm. honestly say, I was lazy this week. I really wanted to get on and do some work, some national parks on the air and stuff like that. And I was just like, huh. <laughs> it was really windy. And, you know, we, we run a, an A4S beam and um, it doesn't always cooperate in high winds, a lot more SWR, things like that. So it kind of wasn't well, all we're, that intriguing. We're, we're pushing the rotor to the max. The rotor's a, a Yezu G5400B for satellite work and the calculations say that we're right at the wind load, but uh, yeah, if the wind's blowing and you move, it doesn't really have a break. So if the wind's blowing mm-hmm. and you move it, it goes wherever the wind wants it to be. So it can be a <laughs> can be a challenge. It's more like I a, really a, wish a I wish we would have taken this picture. We have this new resident hawk that's been um, hanging out on our our uh, tower lately, and he's a big guy. I mean, we have chickens, and he. He's bigger than the chickens, and uh, he just—he's been hanging out there lately, and it's kind of a sight to see. Just he's big old dark brown thing. Um, anyhow, I should have sent you a picture, George, so you could show it. But I didn't think about it. And um, what else have we been doing? You've been—he's just Jeff's been doing a lot of repeater work. He's been working on, um, and I can't talk about this technically as well as he can, but he's been doing a lot of his linking and controlling by All Star. And um, Jeff, if you want to explain how All Star works a little bit, George, do we have time for that? Sure. Okay, go ahead and explain it. How you work, link your repeaters? It, it's sort of like it's sort of like IRLP and Echolink. I think the audio quality is more comparable to IRLP, but it's based on the asterisk. PBX, you know, the open source PBX system. And Jim Dixon uh, actually just passed away the 16th of December. Um, 
modified asterisk to actually it it will run the repeater. So it's a essentially a software based repeater controller, and it allows you to link over an IP network either privately or publicly. So uh, that's why we started using it because I wanted to link two repeaters together. The first two. Uh, when I should have realized that I should have stayed there at two. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Echolink, I used it at first, but I wanted to get away from the use of an Internet connection. We've got a lot of private microwave that uh, that we do from mountaintop to mountaintop out here, five five 5.6 gig, uh, basically a big wireless LAN that goes from, uh, you know, south of us all the way up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, actually. And it's all amateur stuff. So, uh we get to take advantage of that network and link all of these analog repeaters together over an IP network. So that's why we did All-Star. It's called All-Star Link. But uh, um, pretty cool. There, there's public connectivity, too, so you can uh, use it like IRLP or Echolink and connect to places all over the world. But uh, our focus was to be able to link these machines together without the use of the Internet. You know, hams don't let, want to use the Internet if they don't have to, especially for MCOM stuff. So... So That's has, what we the, did. has the All-Star Network seen any emergency use? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, lots. We use it. Uh, you know, I'm sure all you guys know how much fires we've had in Colorado. We've uh, we've used it a ton. We've been called out on, on that system before. Um, some of the search and rescue people are also hams, but they were involved in the incident management team. They call us, hey, we need your help. And they're called the only no cell phone service, obviously, in a lot of these uh, rural places in Colorado. So they call on the on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're trying to integrate it more. We're learning about how to send um, digital stuff, ICS forms um, over it. Uh, what else? Some pictures, you know, if you're by fire spotting, things like that. Again, no cell phone service. You can't just take the picture on your phone and send it. This might be a way to do it. Uh, we're trying to experiment right now. Actually, this winter is um, what we're working on, getting everyone up to speed and getting the equipment that they need to do it and uh, getting everyone trained and ready to do that. Yeah, we played a little bit with FL Digi over uh, I'm thinking, MT63 2KL. was uh, pretty interesting to send data over... An analog repeater linked analog repeater system, and it was a little funky. Audio levels and stuff were tough, but uh, that's what she's referring to. And it's it's a little annoying for the end user to listen to after yeah. <laughs> you know two or three minutes of listening to MT sixty three two KL going over the repeater, but it gets the job done. It's yeah. it's really difficult. Uh, different phones, different audio settings. Um, it's actually a nightmare. It's not something I'm ready to integrate into an Aries relationship whatsoever. Yeah, it would be great at the end of the day if um, somebody could come up with a system or some add-on for that system, whereby let's say you're out in the field and you see something, you just snap a picture uh, with, I don't know, with your handheld or with a, a mobile phone or whatever, and even though the cell networks are down, you're able to somehow send that picture through the network to other people that need it. That would be, oh, yeah. but, it's, but it's got to be simple and easy to use. Kind of like those, um, I think, what, mm-hmm. someone I met has a Rumbo. Is that the radio? Run, 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 Rumbo. Rumbo. It's a- and that's a pretty cool. It's got, like, Android built into it, but yeah. yet uh, UHF, VHF, it's a DTR. big. It's a big smartphone, yeah, with DM, and it's got DMR and on it's it. It's huge. Yeah. Remember your brick Motorola's from back <laughs> in 1980? Same thing again, a little bit lighter, but it was pretty cool actually to kind of play around with it. But I, those kind of things would be really, really handy. I think Yezu System Fusion has a camera in it, and does it really? Yeah, and, and you yeah. can. I think you can send images digitally, but they're pretty low res images. They were like, if I remember correctly, maybe were three twenty by two forty. So it's not a very, not a very good image, but it's probably better than nothing. And one of the other cool things about our um, repeater system here is how, uh, I don't know the word, I'm sorry guys, too many beers, I can't remember the word I'm looking for here, but um, it's versatile. Uh, You can can disconnect this repeater from this one, and you can link this one, and um, we also have um, kind of a GUI page where we can go and see the status page of the system, and you can see all the individual repeaters, and they're all listed, so when somebody's talking, 
one lights up and that bar highlights and you're like, oh, okay, so someone's on the Fremont County um, repeater. But then also it's handy when you're running local nets and you see two bars light up at the same time. You know somebody doubled and you say, okay, well, I heard the one from Fremont, but I didn't get the one from Westcliff. You go ahead and try again. Um, it's it's amazing technology to work with this all-star system. Well, and some of the cooler stuff that they that he did, and it was it was actually really sad to hear that he passed away. I'm the guy I, t- I had the chance to talk to him on the phone last year for a couple hours, and I only remembered half of what he told me. I'd be so much further ahead, but uh, they it, it'll actually vote too, so you can set voted receivers up on the network, and it will it will actually. All the receivers will vote, and uh, it'll simulcast, even though you guys, George, you know, I mean, it simulcast is kind of ugly unless you're, you've spent a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so we're playing around with that, but you get in the overlap areas, and it sounds kind of nasty. There's but. some weird things. It, it almost sounds like you're hearing a double on a repeater. There's kind of some kind of noises, and don't repeat that. But it's interesting. It's a nice... Thanks, voting system. Yeah. Getting those, you'd have to have the oscillators locked together almost to make that transparent. For the for the simulcast stuff, I'm using GE Master 3s, and uh-huh. I got these, uh, they're really cool um, uh, GPSDOs from a Chinese ham builds them, BG7 TBL, you can find them on eBay. Oh. So the... the um, the the RTCM the little interface that you get for All Star is one of the options you can use. There's there's several different ways that you can do it, but the RTCM is one option, and it takes a the the one PPS from the GPSDO to synchronize all the audio, and then obviously you take the 10 megahertz out into the into the reference for the for the transmitter, and uh, it does do a decent job. But you know you're talking. The RTCM is like two hundred dollars, two hundred and fifty dollars, and the GPSDO is like a hundred and twenty. So, you know, I don't think I have with a repeater and everything a thousand dollars a site into it, and that's you know a lot less than what a public safety simulcast system. So, again, it isn't perfect, but it's it's been fun to play with and frustrating at the same time. So, all of your repeater sites are on mountaintops. Is that? Yes, Gen- generally speaking, yeah. There's there's some that are down lower, and um, in fact, there's one here at the house. But uh, generally speaking, yeah, they're most of them are. I think the lowest one that we've got on the mountain is seventy five hundred or so. Mm-hmm. But there's one out west of us that's eleven seven, and uh, there's another one that's twelve thousand four. Yeah, see, so we're, yeah, we're sitting down here between three and four hundred feet most everywhere, you know. So we just. <laughs> Uh, our towers. We, we are very fortunate. Yeah, we are very fortunate. But coordination of um, frequencies again is not so easy. So someone two hundred miles away can still interfere with your repeater frequency. So coordinate. And Jeff happens to be the frequency coordinator here in Colorado, so he has a tough job of trying to find that intermix where you can let these both people have the same frequency. That's why voting is so important to learn and figure out how we can make it work better here. Well, and the, the simulcast is kind of a nice idea if you could make it work because it, I guess it's kind of spectrally. If somebody wants multiple repeaters, rather than having to coordinate them for multiple frequencies, then maybe they could use one. And But mm-hmm. uh, we're not quite there yet. So The technology is just, it, it, most people just can't afford it. I mean, it's just outrageously expensive, even if you could get it. So. You know, we do. We we Jeff scrapped his first one together with what a Motorola G. I'm gonna get this wrong. So. I used a lot of Motorola surplus stuff, CDM 750s and GM 300s, and a lot of a lot of that stuff. The early repeaters were those, and uh, hour long nets took a toll, and uh, most of the transmitters and those guys didn't last. They were just mobile <laughs> radios, so they they didn't they didn't last. You could cook eggs on them, and then they were gone. <laughs> it's been a learning experience for sure. Uh, every time they're like, "Okay, we've got this new repeater site, we're going," and you always think, "Okay, this is gonna this install is gonna take two hours tops, and it's gonna work perfectly." It's always an eight-hour job, and they have to go back the next day because something stupid happened, whether it be someone forgot to turn the power button on somewhere. That's uh, happened so. before. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if you guys have ever experienced that stuff, but it's it's fun time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, you know. I, I do broadcast work, and we have similar situations where you forgot to uh, 
put the transmitter back in remote control and you leave and you realize that and you have to turn around and go back or otherwise just hope it doesn't go off in the meantime because you can't turn it back on remotely. Yeah. It's, a, it's always you, something. So Do you have any capacity to remotely control the repeaters from where you are? We do. We do. You can... Uh, on the voted system, I can disable specific tra- uh, receivers uh, or all of them. Um, I can turn off specific transmitters or all of them. Um, we can. It's asterisk, so at the end of the day, I can log into the thing and and just kill asterisk and shut the whole th- shut shut a specific repeater down if we had a problem, which we've unfortunately had to use some of those features. Um, I can put a you can put a repeater into receive only or go the other way to where they hear everything, but you don't hear anything coming back from that machine. So we've had to do that. We've had people interfere, and you know how that is. And um, mm-hmm. so we had it monitor us only. So they were interfering all day long on a repeater that had a kind of lower coverage, and uh, we just kept right on going doing what we were doing, and they weren't bothering anybody so yeah it's uh you know you need the network connectivity of course you know you need the, either the internet or something there but if you have network connectivity yeah you can control the whole the whole thing yeah. and the right password obviously um yeah. but yeah we, we we have found uh owning all these repeaters now that there's a lot more people that get their hands on both things that aren't actually licensed so uh it's been a little bit more difficult uh i can't say that it's a huge problem it's not like listening to HF, you guys, or anything like that. But, you know, what, once every couple months someone's on there that's not supposed to be on there using a fake call sign, things like that. So, interesting. Um, hmm. But it is what it is. Other times, it, you know, when you're at these mountain top sites, there's a ton of stuff there. We've got Forest Service, BLM. We even have rafting companies that use it up there. All of a sudden, you find out that somebody's stuff is uh, spurious and it's interfering with yours. So it's um, uh, it's hard to and the the VHF um, band is much worse about it than UHF. Jeff is a huge UHF guy. I mean, he swears on it. So here in the mountains, it's a little bit nicer. It plays a little bit friendlier it, in the. It's in the because it's because I'm lazy too. You know, <laughs> the 600 kilohertz split and getting duplexers exactly right yeah. and and hoping that things don't drift and and the two meter band here in Colorado on the front range is jam packed and I'm sure in California it's the same way. But you know, from around Denver up to to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and down to even as far as Colorado Springs, there's nothing. There's there isn't an available pair. If somebody wants a new repeater, we we can't coordinate them. There's just nothing. So the the real estate on 70 centimeters was so much better, and uh, I had a a lot of surplus gear that was given to me, and so the choice was and. You know, 70 centimeters is pretty interesting in the mountains. Well, it, yeah, I was going to say, it, if you got that kind of height, why not, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, so, sometimes you'll move five feet, and you'll be in a deep canyon, and you'll move five feet, and you'll lose it, and you'll move five more feet, and you'll get it right back. And where VHF might propagate a little bit better, but uh, it is what it, it is, and... Uh, you know, we we can with that kind of separation, we can you know preamplify the receiver and make mm-hmm. it hear something that some two meter machines can't hear. So it's it, again, it's been fun. But uh, I think that's good with the, a lot of people sorry, don't uh, realize sorry, that uh, you probably are, are very familiar with is you can't say, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick a 500 watt amplifier on the repeater. That doesn't work <laughs> at all, does it? <laughs> not necessarily not necessarily not necessarily no, it's an alligator there you go exactly and the, it's um some of these mountaintops you you really don't have to run a lot of power um yeah. some of the guys up around denver that the uhf machines and even the vhf machines are 10 or 20 30 watts something like that some of them are less than that yeah. uh, and they do just fine we we'd rather have the receivers here better and they and they generally do so i've got a couple of mine that are flamethrowers there's one down low down south of of pueblo that's kind of it's on a on a bluff on a higher spot but it's not on a mountaintop and uh, still receives very well but it's you know i'm running the full hundred watts on that one just because we need the and it's it seems to be fairly balanced well i know particularly on vhf 
you've got to have a really clean transmitter or it's going to interfere with your receiver and it's going to desense itself if you try absolutely to and we see that i mean you see that a lot and it's hard for the 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 repeater owner to to chase it around and i i had one vhf machine for a while and and the duplexer i had was really it was a nice big six cavity pass reject but it had some sort of an issue because it was in a place that wasn't a constant temperature so when it would get cold the thing would drift a little bit mm-hmm. and and it would get hot and it would drift the other way and, and temperature that, inversion uh, is that I, the term you I, used it I, was it was ridiculous it, I, every every day at 6 a.m you'd hear this horrible noise on it that, and mike i just have to say you mentioned the alligator thing uh i had never heard of this term explain it mike tell me about the alligator and the what what's the other term that you use for repeaters i well, thought that was funny when a repeater is referred to as an alligator, it means it's talking a lot further than it can hear signals from. So um, it's it's basically running more transmit power than it really should be. Yeah, I just, I, I just found that term funny. It's like, oh, that's an alligator repeater. I'm like, what? Yeah. Have labels now? So anyhow. Jeff, do you find, um, do you find that um, the majority of repeaters are still using PL or CTCSS as opposed to DCS? Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up. My my first repeater I put up, um, it was at a very congested commercial site where I work. And uh, right now there's 12 um, DMR repeaters all running around 100 watts. Commercial. Commercial. Um, So it was was pretty nasty. Uh, And I ran, I started with DCS and I, I had... Half the use the potential users had for some reason had radios that wouldn't do DCS, and I guess if you look around, there's a lot of them that still don't. Maybe now they do, but uh, at that point, there was it seemed like about 50% of the radios there were people that wanted to use it, and I got complaints all the time because their radios wouldn't do DCS. So I wound up moving over to CTCSS and having interference issues and having add filters and stuff and everything just to make it just to make it clean and so it wouldn't transmit all day long for nothing. But uh, we don't, I can't think of, uh, I can think of two machines right now that are, that use DCS and they're, they're too narrow band that they're mixed mode. So they do DMR and they do narrow band FM. And when they're in narrow band FM, they use DCS for that. But other than that, I can't think of another one in the state. So two that I know of in the, in all of Colorado. Yeah, no, I was just uh, asking because you were mentioning about the, uh, or, or sorry, Amanda was mentioning about the trouble with the unlicensed users that were mm-hmm. using like Bofang, mm-hmm. cheap Bofang radios and um, just wondering if uh, if that had been tried because, um, you know, most people probably couldn't figure out how to program the radio with DCS. Yeah, there's so many choices. It would be hard to find it too. And I, re- I actually, I'm exactly. a big believer in DCS. It's it's really quiet. I like the way it sounds. If you've got a good ear, and I'm half deaf, but I can hear. It's true. I can. Yeah, it is true. I can hear CTCSS, even if it's deviated properly. I can hear it. And DCS is so quiet. It's and it's so clean. And when the user unkeys it, it, you know, if they're depending on the radio or the handheld or the mobile, it will usually just mute the speaker very perfectly and, you know, you don't get the squelch burst and all that other stuff. So I, I've actually, I like DCS. It just, we're, we're not there yet. And Peter, that's something else you can do. A lot of these things, you can actually go in and remotely change the tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so if you've got a user on there, you can actually remotely change the tone and, and do a restart and it comes up with a different tone. Oh, and on a, cool. an, uh, kind of an unrelated but related um, I think you also canceled the DCS, if I recall, because we have so many travelers and visitors and tourists here that we wanted to make sure that we had our repeater system open to them because so many of them come in and they are either a lost, be looking for weather because we have such um, severe weather in uh, the summer monsoons uh, or anything else. So just a, a, a ton of just a ton of visitors that come through Colorado, a lot of from Texas, things like that. And I think he, we also realized that we needed to keep it open for them, make it a little bit easier for them to get into it because there's so many of them that need help. Yeah, it was a trade-off, but uh, it is what it is. And maybe someday we'll get back to that point where the, maybe the radios will support, all of the radios will support it and we'll be able to do TCS again But because I do like it. But. Yeah. What? I'm in your camp, too, because I I prefer UHF. Um, I run a UHF repeater, and 
sure, you sacrifice a little bit on the uh, repeater coverage area, but you make up for it in situations like you mentioned where there's, uh, you know, you're in a little bit of a valley. And, and for some reason, uh, UHF seems to be able to, like you say, move five feet and you're almost full quieting again. Mm, absolutely. Can you guys uh, hang around with us uh, for a little bit longer? Sure. sure. All right. We're going to take a little break here. I'm trying to space out a break every so often. 